tonight, uh, for those who have been listening for a while now, I've been in the book of Daniel, but I'm going to go in a different direction tonight. I'm going to go to John 15, John chapter 15, which most of us are familiar with, verses 1 through 17, if we can get that far. So we'll see how far we can take it, see what the Lord wants us to say here, what he wants us to hear. So, uh, Father, again, we just give praise and honor to you for who you are, Father. And we're just so thankful that we have a God who loves us in spite of ourselves, Father. And I just pray, Father, as we go through the, this time, this season that we're going through now, Father, uh, how the world is determined to um, conform us to their way. I just pray that we will not be conformed to the world, be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we give you praise and honor now, Father. And I just thank you for my sisters and brothers, those who have been subjected to uh, being uh, despised and rejected by the world, that we would just accept that as part of our reasonable service, Father, and just do what you've called us to do. So I just I pray that we would just continue to press on and uh, only when we're led by the Holy Spirit. So have your way in this place, Father. Uh, guide uh, this vessel, Father, that your word will be rightly divided and that our sisters and brothers, their hearts and ears will be open to receive what you have for each and every one of us individually and collectively, Father. I pray that you would continue to abide among us and we continue to abide in you in the name of Jesus. So um, one of the reasons um, why I feel uh, that he's has had me to go here. The book of Daniel is is excellent. It's prophetic. It's uh, challenging. Not that this isn't, but every once in a while he just you know just hey uh, Richard lighten it up just a little bit, and it doesn't take away from what the Holy Spirit is calling us to, but it's just specific things that he puts on my heart. This is what the people that I call out here tonight. They're in Pixeland as well. This is what I want them to hear. Daniel is great. I know that's where you are if you're following the order of the book. But this is where I want you to go. And I am learning the meaning of obedience is better than sacrifice. And I say learning. I mean that sincerely because uh, just when I think I got it nailed, I realize that no, you don't. So when I have my plan, when I make my plans, they tend to fail somewhere along the way. But when I follow what the Lord is asking me to do or telling me to do, I find that that seems to work so much better. So just being obedient to the Lord, John 15. And uh, the title that, that he's given me is The Basis of Christian Living. These are the very basics. So when I look at this, I like to think that even the, the novices among us, those who are not really solid in the word, can comprehend John 15. Now, that's just what he put on my heart. Now, that may be true, but I like to believe that this is, uh, this is something that we can all relate to, something that we can strive for, striving in the, in the positive sense. And uh, just be aware of what he wants from us. Verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is a vine dresser. 
And with this extended metaphor of the vine and branches, Jesus wants to teach the basis of Christian living. Jesus used the imagery of uh, farming life at the time, which was vines and vine crops. In the Old Testament, the vine is used commonly as a symbol for Israel. Jesus identified himself as a true vine and the father as a vine dresser or a caretaker of the vines. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And this, the vines has branches that bear fruit and branches that do not bear fruit. And with us, there's some who will be saved and some who are going to raise their fists in the cleft of the rocks. I will not have this man to rule over me. That's going to happen. It's hard to imagine. This is the Lord God, the creator of everything. And you're, you're rebelling against him? The answer is yes. We see it now and we're going to see it at the end. Those people that just will not give in. But he knows that already. The imagery reflects all believers down through the ages. The branches that do not bear fruit are those who profess to believe, but their lack of fruit indicates genuine salvation has never taken place and they have no life from the vine. The image of non-fruit bearing branches being burned pictures judgment and eternal rejection. And here what we'll see, we, we know people who says, I'm a good person. Are you a Christian? Well, sure I am. I go to church every Sunday. And they really believe that by being a good person and doing these things that makes them a good person, their ticket is punched to go to heaven because they're doing the right things according to the world standard. I've never done this to anybody. I've never done anybody any harm. So that makes me a good person. I've never done these things or I do these things. So that makes me a good person. And the word of God says there is none good. No, not one. And again, in order to even think that you are good or bad, that means you've got to compare yourself to something or someone. Otherwise, well, how do you know good from bad? And that's it. And, and again, this is why those among us who prescribe to live under the law, that's why they choose that. Because by living under the law, now I compare, compare myself to you. I'm better than you because I, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do all these sinful things. Uh, so that makes me better than you. So that's why we, we like the law. It gives us a measuring stick. But the, God doesn't look at it that way. We, he counts us based on his grace. How do you measure grace? You can't. We can't see it. We don't know, and you can't look at me and say, well, I have more grace than him, or I have more grace than her. We, we, we don't have the ability to do that. So we count on the fact that we are good. I compare myself to you, that makes me better or worse. And we have a tendency to always compare down. Very rarely do we compare ourselves up. So our standard is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we don't want to compare ourselves to him because we'll never measure up. So we're not going to compare ourselves if we don't measure up. Why would I compare myself to a measurement that I can't achieve? 
So I prefer to compare myself to a humankind. I got a better shot at being good compared to them than being to Jesus Christ. So, so there are going to be those believers who say this. And one of the things that we say is we can't afford to be judges, but we can't afford to be fruit inspectors. So when you look at this person and they give you all these reasons why they're good, we're in no position to judge them, but we can look for the fruit of their lives. And there are some among us who their words sound scriptural, their words sound good, their words sound holy, but their lives speak otherwise. So what we do is we just continue to just, again, be about our father's business. We can't save anybody. So we just continue to lean on Jesus for that and not compare ourselves to other people. And we get to hear that way too often. Well, I would never do that. You don't know what you're capable of. And there's scripture that says that. We don't know. So let's just keep on being about business. In order to know what that's about, this is why we read verses like this. What is that vine? What is that branch? And then we start to understand the heart of God. When he says, I will cut them off, it doesn't mean that he's going to just cut them out. What he does, he props them up. When that vine is laying in the mud in the water, getting soggy and weak, what he does, he'll take a rock and he'll prop it up. So now it's dry and strong and vibrant. And that's what he'll do for us. In those times we're going through something, which we often do. He's there. He's propping us up. Brother, sister, I know you're going through some change. I know you're going through some challenges, but I'm going to get you through this. And sometimes it doesn't seem like he means that because it's not happening soon enough. Not happening in the right way. So we have a tendency to doubt. Continue to believe. Trust in him. Trust in him. Abide in him and he will. You, you abide in him, he'll abide in you. The father gets rid of the dead wood so that the living fruit bearing branches may be sharply dis- distinguished from apostate Christians who never genuinely believed and will be taken away in judgment, the transformer life of Christ has never penetrated their hearts. And it's something that I've always wondered about. And I could, there are some examples that I use in certain, with certain audience, but I won't do it here. How can anyone profess to be a pure Christian, a pure-hearted Christian, a spirit-filled Christian, and then turn away? I'll never understand. So I'm waiting till I get to be home with Jesus and ask him. I just got one question. How, how do you taste and see that he's good and you turn away? How does that happen? And we can say, well, maybe they were never Christian to begin with. We can't say that. We don't know. But I, I, I haven't had anyone who can explain that to me yet. And it's something that I've always wondered about because I've seen Real-life examples of people that I thought were God-fearing, God-loving, God-centered, spirit-filled. And then at some point in life, they even changed genders. Explain that to me, Lord. Explain that to me. How someone who was seemed to be grounded, anchored to the rock, 
and yet they took another person's life. And, and again, this may be contradicted to what I just said. We don't even know our own heart. But how can that be? How can that be? And he just lets us know that we're all capable of that. Without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can be nothing. And the best way to be nothing is to do nothing. And he just, he just confirms that we are all capable of doing anything that anyone any other human being has done. And when we start to think that we're beyond that, we're fooling ourselves. And it doesn't mean that you're defeated. It doesn't mean that he's not going to carry you, but he wants us to stay attached. He wants us to learn more and more about his heart every day. Learn about his heart and how to live. And, And now going through the process of learning, even now, and it lets us know that, you know, the, the guys who got the badges that say pastor, still learning. The guys that had the badges that say elders, still learning. All the lay people here are still learning. And that's why we do what we're doing now. We come, we want to hear from the Lord to see what he's, he has to say for us. And he puts us in this position where we, we get to speak from the very core of our heart. Not from the bottom of my heart, but from the core of my heart to understand what he wants me to hear and what he wants you to hear. He wants me to hear learning. And it's a process and we get frustrated because it's it's not moving fast enough or maybe it's moving too fast, depending on the situation. But he's working it out no matter what it is. I know we talked about this a few days ago about. Uh, those who have prodigals in their families, prodigals, sons and daughters, or rebellious sons and daughters in the home, and how we just, we just continue to struggle with that. But Lord, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a good Christian. I do all the right things, yet you're punishing me. No, he's not punishing you. Don't mistake punishing for chastening. There is a difference. And we can put that in a worldly sense of how we treat our children. When our child is doing something that we know is wrong and we continue to let it go on, at some point we got to rein it in. He's got to rein it in and chasing us. And that's what he does. I've been trying to get your attention. And you're not, you don't hear me. So now I got to do something perhaps severe from your perspective to get you to listen to me. And that's what he'll do, regardless of what it is. God removes all things in the believer's life that would hinder fruit bearing. He chastises to cut away sin and hindrances that would drain spiritual life, just as the farmer removes anything on the branches that keep them from bearing maximum fruit. God wants us to be filled with maximum Holy Spirit. Not just a little bit, just a, just a little taste, just a sample. No, he's going to fill us to overfilling. And what he does with that, when he fills us to overfilling, that means we got more. So now we can give it away. We can share with others. And that's what we get a chance to do. That's what you get a chance to do whenever you minister to your family, your friends. That's what he's doing. Maximum. He wants to fill you to overfilling. Not just enough to pacify you but enough to be able to give it away. That's when he's really working. And 
again, the last time we got a chance to talk, it was about being bold, bold with the gospel. Some of us are not bold with the gospel. There are some of us who don't open our Bibles outside of these walls. And that's not to, uh, there's no, now and therefore no condemnation, but it's just that we have to be bold when we have certain things that we like. There's people here who like flowers. There's people here who like cars. There's people here who like all sorts of things. And when this conversation comes up, it's hard to shut us down. Man, I could ramble about people who like sports. You know, there are people who can ramble on and on and on about sports and cars and money and shoes and clothing and whatever else. But you bring up the name of Jesus and conversation is usually not so very long. I'll talk about it for a few minutes and then let's move on to something more interesting. What is more interesting than the word of God? If anybody knows, come up afterwards and tell me because I haven't found it yet. Nothing, nothing. And what he's asking us to do is just to trust him, just to, to be bold about any, uh, at any time that we get to share. And I think about this coming off of the, the gatherings, the, the Thanksgivings and the Christmases and the New Year's and all that stuff, how we are around people. And I want to believe that anybody that's around you, with you, knows that you're a Christian. Can we all say that? Some of us may not be able to say that with a pure heart. Are you a Christian? What's your response to that? Do you say, I'm a good person? Do you say, yeah, I go to church? Do you say, yeah, I know the pastor? No, it doesn't count. It doesn't measure up. But it's just that we need to be able to profess the Lord's name no matter what. And it's not, it's not uh, easy all the time because even though some of us are advanced in years, there's still some young ones among us, but we still want to fit in. And sometimes we never grow out of that. I want people to like me. I want people to accept me. But Lord, you don't really know what it's like to be despised and rejected. Oh, wait a minute. Nope, that's not true, is it? Oh, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, he knows what it's like to be despised and rejected. And what we are subjected to pales by comparison. So just be, just, just proclaim that name. Just be, fill with a, a compliment that they call you a Bible thumper. Be confident. Be proud of the fact that they call you a Jesus freak. It's a compliment. And we need to take it as such. You know, all you do is read your Bible, go to church and pray. That's it. Ho-hum. But we have to realize that this is it's such a joy. They experience happiness, but we experience joy. And there's a vast difference between the two. Because I can be happy by surrounding myself with the things I like. I like toys. Give me toys, more toys. I'm happy. But what happens is... I stop owning those toys and those toys start owning me. Now I'm, it's not so great anymore. But the thing is, that happiness is fleeting. But, we, but when he infuses or imputes that joy into us, it takes on a whole different meaning.
This is with you everywhere you go, not determined by the environment, not determined by the circumstances, but just the fact that the Lord just wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. And there are some, some what we may consider downsides to that. Because I'm doing all the right things, yet I'm struggling. I don't, I don't understand that. Why would the Lord cause me to struggle? And this is one thing I got to share a few days ago. What we do is we make ourselves or that person who's suffering by our standard the center of the situation. The Lord may not be looking at it like that. The reason that brother is suffering, the reason that this stuff is going on in that city or that town is because I want you to pray for them. It's not about you. The reason that 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 child is, is, is a prodigal is because I want to affect, impact all the people around him or her. We never look at it like that. Oh, poor Johnny. You know, I, I felt so sorry for him. But what that does, it caused us to go on our knees and pray for him. That son, that young son of ours who's going through some mental issues right now. He causes us to pray for him. That young daughter who's going through some some physical ailments right now. He's causing us to pray for them. So that person may not be the central figure. That person may not be the center of the controversy or what the Lord wants to do. He wants to impact everybody around them. It may not be necessarily just family, other people that are impacted by that. That's what he does. It's not just that focusing on that one who he called to be home. Okay, I've called this person to be home, but now I want you to go out and proclaim the gospel as a result of that. Because now you have sensed mortality. You have sensed what it's like to lose someone that you love. So I want you to go out. So it really wasn't about the person that passed away. It really wasn't about that prodigal, that rebellious child. It's about all that are in the perimeter of that. That's what he does. So when when he's doing that, Lord, what would you have me to do? That's what we need to ask. Because you always play a part. You always get an opportunity to minister to someone. And when you see that, when you hear that, take action. Lord, what would you have me to do? And he will speak to you. I know there's some who say, well, the Lord has never spoken to me. Uh, That may be true, maybe not. Now, there are people who talk to you. When we were younger, many, many years ago, the Lord said, I need you to come to me. Well, you know, I still got plenty of time. I'm going to have fun and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll check you out later. I'll get back to you. And some of us, he gave us that period of time to do that, to change. Some of us, he did not. We all old enough where we had high school friends, college friends who didn't live a very long life. And it didn't mean that they were living off the wall. It just meant that what the Lord had for them was for a shorter period of time. And he gave us these opportunities to go through this. And now he's working it out. He's working it out. And he will continue to work it out as long as we're here. So 
When you say, I don't know why I'm here, ask, ask the Lord, why am I here? What would you have me to do? What is my ministry? And make sure that you're hearing from him because there are other voices that want to penetrate your ear gates and your eye gates and say, this is what you should do. And just getting a chance to talk to someone last night who is getting discouraged by their church. But, but the person went there because it was an entertaining church. You know, 17-piece band. I was like going to a concert every week. And now this person is growing in the Lord, and they realize that, wait a minute, this doesn't do it anymore. What's the Lord calling me to? And, and just to encourage them, just pray with them, and just make sure you seek them, and avoid giving advice if that's what the Holy Spirit says. Let them decide for themselves, and let them hear from the Lord for themselves. Well, I think you should, if I were you, no, that should never be said. You're not them. So anyway, this person is really, really struggling because now entertainment isn't cutting it anymore. You know, and this church was never big on the word, but she's just started to realize that just recently, within the last week or two. I said, wait a minute, I, I just realized now that I'm not focused on entertainment, I realize that they don't really put any, any value on the word. A little value on the word, I should say. And so if that's any of us, just ask the Lord, what would he have you to do? And the other thing is when he's calling you, you have to make that decision for yourself. There are some people who are very uh, assertive, forceful. They want you to believe what they believe. Be careful with that. That can be very dangerous. People like that are called lemmings. They just follow along blindly because of this person. And sometimes they're afraid to go against that person's feelings or ideas or thoughts. Let's not be that way. Let's de depend on Christ and Christ alone. Verse 3 you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. The word abide in this context means to remain or stay around. The remaining is evidence that has taken place and not vice versa. The fruit of evidence of salvation is continuance in service to him, God, and in his teaching, in his teaching. The, abide, the abiding believer is the only legitimate believer. Abiding and believing actually addressing the same issue of genuine salvation. Genuine salvation. Not some made up thing, not just a feeling, not just emotions. But genuine, that's what this person is going through now because they went to a church because it, it exercised their emotions. I refer to that as spiritual pep rally. And that's all it was. That's all it is. But you've got to get to that point yourself. Mom can't tell you. Dad can't tell you where to go, when to go. And there are so many of us 
who follow these things. And it's a very dangerous thing to do. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Those who've had health issues know what it was like to be able to lie there and not have much around you mean anything. All of a sudden, that house on the hill didn't seem so important. That big fancy car didn't seem so important. That person that I love who was the center of my life didn't seem as important now because now I'm lying here and I can do nothing. Everything that I got does not help me in any way. Even the people that are in my life can't help me. Neither can you unless you abide in me. If anything does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And, thy, and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. He's always working. Always working. And, and any time that we feel that we're being cast out. Well, I, I, I think I've lost my salvation. Can that happen? Rhetorical question. Can that happen? Can you lose your salvation? And there are some who will say, absolutely. It happened to me. Really? How do you do that? Can you gain your salvation? Well, no, not really. So if you can't gain it, can you lose it? How do you receive salvation? Is it something that you just sort of, I'll take some of that. So now you get to the point where I'm just going to give this away. Doesn't happen like that. Doesn't work like that. Genuine salvation. If one not divided me is cast out as a branch and withered. And this image here is one of destruction. It pitches a judgment awaiting all those who were never saved. The judgment awaiting those who were never saved. What does it mean to be saved? It means to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Not Lord or Savior. Is that all it takes? It just takes trust, faith. We are not a religious system. We are a faith-based system. And the reason I say that is because, are you religious? The answer is yes, you are. And there is no one that I know who's not religious. No one. Even the best of them, they are religious. But is there a difference between religion and faith? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if we want to get very definitive, religion is anything that I do on a regular basis. Anything. I religiously do these things every day. I religiously do this and do that. And that's why there's a real concern about religious systems that teach that you are a good person. And you believe that. 
because they keep telling you over and over and over again that you're good. So you can say that with confidence. Yes, I'm good. How do you know you're good? Because my priest says I am. My pastor says I am. He says I'm a good person. What's that based on? So if they ask you if you're religious, say yes, I am. So are you. And then see what that dialogue does for you. Yeah, they're religious. Religious about what? There are people who sit here among us on Sundays who are religious. That's as far as it goes. Why do you come to church? Well, it's a good social atmosphere. I get a chance to be with my friends. I get a chance to grab a meal, maybe. And not only that, but the reason I come is my family has gone to church all my life. So what does that have to do with the here and now? Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be given. It shall be done for you. Um, Months ago, I made this statement uh, from this very pulpit. And the sister came up afterwards and said, what you said is not true. I says, what's that? She says, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you what you desire and it shall be done for you. I've asked the Lord for things quite a bit. It wasn't done. He didn't give it to me. So what does that mean to you? That means that what you say is not true because I ask and it wasn't given. So do you think you know better or you think the Lord knows better? Well, I know he knows better, but Why would I say that if it wasn't true? Because I did ask and it wasn't done. Do you think that if you got everything that you asked for, that your life would be better? Absolutely not. Everybody in this room knows the answer to that one. Not necessarily, but we got into a little discussion about that very verse. And it was very difficult because she didn't want to hear anything else except Don't say that if it's not true. All it says is ask. But can I just add another couple words? His will. Well, what does that mean? He knows what's best for you. And he's not going to give you anything that's going to cause you harm. And if he does, you know, it's going to be a test. Is it more about me or is it more about stuff and things? And he'll let you know. So anyway, uh, it's a, 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 one of those questions or those statements that I, I, I struggle with. I'll be honest with you. And it says, true believers obey the Lord's command, submitting to his word. Because of those committed to God's word, they are devoted to his will and his way. If you're devoted to God's word, then you are devoted or committed to his will and his way. And that determines whether we are really honest. And another thing that we don't think about, he knows our motive. He knows why we're asking for that thing. I want a new car because my neighbor has a new car. That's not a good motive. 
I want a mansion because my neighbor has a big house. That's not a good motive. I want all these things because someone else has them. Have you read the the commandments lately? There's something in there about coveting, covetousness. And that lends itself to that. So it has to be about his will and his way. And their prayers are fruitful, which puts God's glory on display as he answers. Those things put God's will on display as he answers because he knows that I mentioned earlier about the things that we like. We want big and fast and shiny and new and all that stuff. And he knows our motive for that. Why? Because I want to impress my neighbors. I want to impress my, the guys at church. That's not his will. Impress them more by proclaiming the gospel. If you can do that. Let them know that you're in love with Jesus. And even more so, he's in love with you. That part's a given. But you're in love with him. So proclaim the gospel. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. His disciple? What does that mean? His disciples are those who accept in mind and life teachings, hearts, views, practices, life, and death of Jesus the Christ. If you're a disciple, when you sign on that line, you sign up for Teaching things of his heart, teaching things from his view, teaching things according to his practices, keep teaching things about teaching things about life and death, and talk about his death and resurrection. Can you do all of that? The answer is yes, you can. The question is, will you do all of that? And a wise man once said, it's not a matter of do's and don'ts. It's a matter of wills and won'ts. And I believe that. Can you? Yes. Will you? Hmm. It's up to you. Verse 8, by this my father is glorified that you have much more and will be my disciples. And, And again, These are followers of Jesus who were not called Christians until the founding of the church at Antioch, which occurred in Acts 11.26. Followers of Jesus. They were not called Christians until they were spoken of in the book of Acts. Now, we refer to Christians as followers of Jesus. And... I just want to caution you while I got an opportunity to be careful with that. Are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a follower of God. And to us, that's fine. That's very fine. Keep in mind the audience that you're speaking with. If you can, if the Lord puts it on your heart, use Jesus. That goes, that goes deeper. Because even those who are non-believers have a God. They have a God. And when they say God, that's all inclusive. So we, being part of a faith-based system, 
should not be ashamed to use the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. And you will see the difference. You will see a different reaction when you stop saying God in general. And don't, don't misunderstand me. It's okay. It's just that it becomes more definitive when you say Jesus. And you will isolate yourself. You will separate. You will cause uh, schism between other belief systems when you start saying Jesus. Do you believe in God? Sure, I believe in God. Do you believe in Jesus? Well, I'll get back to you on that one. Verse 9, as a father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in the love of Jesus. This is not emotional or mystical, but defined in verse 10 as obedience. Jesus set the model by his perfect obedience to his father, which we are to use as a pattern for our obedience to him. As he was obedient to the father, I pray that we will learn to be obedient to him. Again, my friends, it's not easy. And you'll never hear me say that it's easy. And I don't like the word never, but I try my best to refrain from saying that because it's a challenge. It's a daily challenge. Sometimes hour by hour, minute by minute, because I can be in a certain environment and I'm very comfortable proclaiming the name of Jesus. And there may be another environment where all of a sudden I don't want to be, I don't want to stand out from the crowd. And I'll either say nothing or say something that blends in with what everyone else is saying or doing. And thank God he's getting me further and further from that. But those tendencies are there. Tendencies are there to, to revert back to allowing the flesh to rule. And it will. The flesh never stops. The good thing about it, nor does the spirit. So we just keep on serving, keep on serving. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. It's a challenge. Abide, abide, abide. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy will remain in you and that your joy may be full. Full. I would just impute all this Holy Spirit into you, all this joy into you, um, that you will be fruitful. And the way that I remember joy, personally, is from Sunday school. Joy, J-O-Y. Jesus, others, you. That's the order. If you try and put that in any other order, you're out of order. Because if you don't have that, that personal relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you're not going to have it with others. You can't. You can't. Now, the difficult part is realizing that at best, you're third on the list. And that's if you don't have a dog. That's the best you can do. 
Just as Jesus maintained that his obedience to the Father was the basis of his joy, so also the believers who are obedient to his commandments will experience that same joy. Joy. In the word of God, joy is an attribute of deity. Wow. It is an important part of the nine fruit of the Spirit, which He imputes in us. Joy, one of the fruit of the Spirit. So that means it's got to be very important. It's got to be something that He's willing to impute in us, and now we can take that overabundance and share it. That your joy may be full. Joy is often equated with happiness, but the two are vastly different. Happiness depends mostly on good health, pleasant surroundings, positive fellowship, great spiritual, uh, great financial position, good food and drink. Happiness. Happiness is depending on those things. Happiness and unhappiness do not exist together, but joy and sorrow can and do exist together. Our Lord was a man of work of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as it speaks of in Isaiah 53, 3. But for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And it talks about it in Hebrews 12 too, sitting down at the throne of God. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. In order for us to know how much, we experience it in real life, how much he loves us, but to be able to see his heart in print, in word, and then be able to not just be hearers of that word, but doers also. Just to go out and say, okay, I'm filled with joy. I want to share it. I got something good that I want to share with everybody I see. No exceptions. This is a, a greater love has no one in him that, that laid down his down one's life for his friends. This is a reference to the supreme evidence and expression of Jesus' love and his sacrificial death upon the cross. Christians are called to exemplify the same kind of sacrificial giving reward one another, even if such sacrifice involves the laying down of one's life and imitating Christ's example. Can we lay down our lives for others? Yes. Again, the question, will we lay down our lives for others? That's for you to decide. That's between you and our Lord and Savior. And he'll guide you. He'll guide you no matter what, what you're going through. He will utilize it to, 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 to be glorified. 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant for a, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. All things that I've heard from my father I have made known to you. 
It's all here, my friends. Wherever you want to read, whenever you want to read, just allow it to penetrate your heart. Because that way we get to know his heart. And the idea is to be more like him. But brother, is it possible to be like him? It says be more like him. So there's growth. There's a process. And the desire of our heart is to be able to grow to be more like him. That should be the desire of our heart. No longer do I call you friend, servants, but I call you friends. Just as Abraham was called a friend of God because he enjoyed extraordinary access to the mind of God through God's revelation to him, which he believed. Those who follow Christ are privileged with extraordinary revelation through the Messiah and Son of God and believing become friends of God. Also, it was for his friends that the Lord laid down his life. He calls us friends, so that means he laid down his life for us. And everyone that we know, he laid down his life. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit shall remain, that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give you. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, according to his will, according to his way, according to his word, then he will give it to you. It's important that we understand that he's not a genie. He doesn't just, we rub the bottle and he just gives us what we want. That can be a, a definite death sentence. Because if I had a genie, whatever I have an obsession with, then I would become over obsessed with it. Because now I can have an abundance of the things that I desire. And from a fleshly standpoint, that's a death sentence. Because more than likely, those obsessions outside of Him, which are idols, would destroy us. What do you enjoy? If, if someone were walking here and say, okay, everybody here, here's a million. Go crazy. What would you purchase? What would you do with that million? I'm thinking that for most of us, the things that we have in our lives that are idols, that's what we would purchase. And that's what we would spend our lives doing or not doing, depending on what the case is. According to his will, his way, his word. Okay, just want to read these and one more verse and then we're going to close. God elected uh, believers to salvation apart from any merit. You were elected to salvation not because of your good deeds, not because of how good you are, not because you did these things or didn't do these things. You were elected to salvation by his merit. One purpose of God's sovereign election is that the disciples who have been blessed with such revelation and understanding should produce spiritual fruit. The New Testament describes fruit as godly attitudes, righteous behavior, praise, and especially leading others to faith in Jesus as Messiah and Son of God. Is that what we're about? 
Are we leading others? Is it Jesus, others, and you? Is that the order in your life? Or is it me, mine, and mine? That's the fleshy attitude that a lot of us possess right now. There's a song that says, it's all about you, Jesus. But there's some who change the word, it's all about me, Jesus. Deadly. Last verse, verse 17. These things I command you that you love one another. In these 17 verses, the word love or loved is mentioned nine times. Our Lord, our Savior, is trying to get a message through. I, I remember uh, years ago, many years ago, we were new here, and I, I just remember this one man who was coming, came for uh, three, four weeks in a row, three, three or four Sundays in a row. And then he says, well, I won't be back. I say, why is that? I say, the pastor repeats himself. I say, is that from just out of his top of his head or is he reading it? Well, he's reading it. Why does he have to repeat it? What'd you hear that he repeated? Well, I can't remember now, but okay, there you go. There's your answer, buddy. You know, and I'll never forget it. That was his reason for leaving at least this church. And I was thinking to myself, where would he go if they're reading the word that he's not going to repeat it? And I was thinking back in uh, Daniel uh, months ago where it talked about uh, the word hope. The word hopes in the Bible appears 126 times. And the word hopeless appears nine times. And Jesus never said, use the word hopeless. And that just serves as an example for me. Like no matter what you're going through, my friends, no matter what's going on with the children, those who are struggling right now, no matter what's going on with that son or that daughter or that mom or that dad or that sister or brother, there's always hope. Continue to pray for them. Continue to pray for others. And if there's an opportunity to pray for anyone, pray for someone. If there's an opportunity to pray with someone, pray with them. Well, I'm pretty busy now. I got things to do, so uh, I'll pray for you tomorrow. If he wanted you to pray for that person tomorrow, he would have told you tomorrow. He told you today. He told you tonight. So pray for us. We all need it. Uh, and, and last note, we, with the badge, we're not immune. We need your prayer even more. And a lot of people, when I say that, they laugh. Oh, come on, you guys are, you guys are locked. <laughs> no, we're not. No, we're not. Just like you, we're wrapped in flesh. And we are prone to wander. And I'm not standing here making confession that that's what I'm doing, but I'm just, I'm letting you know that when you pray, don't exclude us pastors and elders. And in that sense, spiritually speaking, we're laymen. We are no different in that respect. Yeah, but you guys are grounded in the word. Yeah, okay. Then why don't we just scratch out what Jeremiah said then? Scratch it out. Just, just take a, a marker and just line out a heart that's deceitfully wicked. Except for pastors 
elders. Who could know it? We don't know. We don't know what we're capable of. We need prayer. And sometimes we're a bigger target than some of you guys are. The things that we get to hear, the things that we get to see, they can break your spirits. They can break your heart. But we have a God who loves us. And he takes good care of us. And he continues to call us his friends. Father, we just thank you again for, uh, for the words. I pray that uh, uh, if I even said one word that discouraged my sister or brother, Father, I just pray that you would just delete it right now, Father. So I thank you for, for them. I thank you for their willingness to come out tonight. I thank you, you for this opportunity that you've given me to, as I get to share your word, Father. And I just pray, Father, that there was some encouragement that came out of it. I know there was for me personally, and I just pray that my sisters and brothers would just meditate on these things, Father, that, uh, that was said tonight. And that they would know that it wasn't me pointing finger at them, but it was the fingers that are pointing back at me, Father, saying, I need this even more so. So we give you praise and honor now for all that you've done. We look forward with anticipation of what you're going to do knowing that in days future, until you come back, that there's work to be done. The fields are white, and the workers are few. But I pray that we do not become weary in well-doing. May we continue to serve you all the days of our lives. In the name of Jesus, our soon-returning King, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming out.